back after being away for a week. I'm happy. It was a, it was a wonderful retreat, and I'm a bit tired because we stayed up late dancing and other such activities. Sweat lodge till two in the morning one night, doing other things. Um, and it was just a wonderful thing to be away with a hundred men in the woods for a week. Uh, and everybody was nervous when it started. I mean, you get that many men together, who knows what might happen? <laughs> this sort of this primal kind of thing. Well, wait, I'm outnumbered here. Uh, there was a lot of storytelling, a lot of talk about people's fathers and grandfathers, and the isolation that men have felt in our culture for a long time, what fathers don't tell sons and what grandfathers don't teach their grandchildren anymore that used to be taught. And people talked a lot about their grief and shame and fears as men. Veterans talked about what it was like to go through different wars and the, the camaraderie on one side and the shame and the fear and the isolation on the other. We talked a lot about the loss of of the positive masculine of fathering in our culture as much as the loss of the feminine, the loss of elders and initiation and the understanding of how to live with integrity that's not passed on because dad goes off to work most. You don't even see him in most households. There was a wonderful man there who taught tracking, who spent many years with the Australian Aborigines and knew how to follow the faintest track in the woods and began to teach what it meant to listen with all of your senses to follow something, whether it was a person or music or an animal. We tried listening to the birds, to the blue jays, and he said, if you listen, when the blue jay scolds the different animals, he does it in different tones of voice. And if you listen enough to the blue jays, you can just sit there and the blue jays will go toot, 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 over here and you'll know, oh, dog's coming or person's coming down the path just by the voice. It was wonderful. And a long night of samba dancing. Samba as a form of prayer is what it was called. <laughs> a hundred drummers was great. So I come back here to sit together and join you. And the question that arises for me, it may well arise for you, is what are we doing here? Why do we come together to sit or to be together? And some of us have been sitting weekly and other retreats and so forth for four or five more years. I want to read a poem, if I may, to start to answer that, and I'll answer it from in myself, and perhaps there'll be something that resonates in you. This poem is by Juan Ramon Jimenez, and it's, it's not too long. It starts, I am not I. I am this one walking beside me whom I do not see, whom at times I manage to visit and at other times I forget. The one who forgives, sweet, when I hate, the one who remains silent when I talk, the one who takes a walk when I am indoors, the one who will remain standing when I die. 
I am not I. I am this one walking beside me whom I do not see, who at times I manage to visit. Why do we sit? We sit for silence. We take time, 45 minutes, an hour, a half an hour, to listen to this one next to us. To touch the spirit that moves through us, that moves through everything, and not be so busy. You know there are two kinds of silence. There's the silence where you run away from everything and go into a cave or plug up your eyes and ears and sit in the closet or something, which doesn't last very long for most people. They get tired of it. Decide you have to come out and eat and so forth. And then there's the silence of the spirit, which is the silence in the midst of movement, the silence that we can find that is always here like this one beside us. So we sit to touch that spirit that moves in us or beside us, to distinguish the voices from the echoes. You know what I mean? To distinguish the voices from the echoes? Because all around us are these echoes, these half-voices, these things that aren't deep or true or real. To remember who we are on this earth. We sit for that purpose. Rumi advises, Rumi, the wonderful Persian poet, he advises, pay regular visits to yourself. <laughs> That's what meditation is. I think I'm going to go visit myself for half an hour, <laughs> see what's been happening this week. Visit your body. Visit your longings. Visit your visions. Visit what you value. Listen to your heart, to what is true, what you really can live this life from with some integrity. Visit and feel in that listening the ocean which connects us all, which is there. So let's just stop and listen for a minute. Listen to this one walking beside us, to him or her. This one who has the spirit of a child that we forget to listen to, the child of the spirit. This one who is the Buddha or the Madonna, the Bodhisattva. Just listen. What is there that has been there to hear, to understand, all day, all week, this year. That wants to be heard and honored. What do you most value? And what would happen to your life if you lived from that. Whom at times I manage to visit and at other times I forget. That's the line. 
Forgetting is the most amazing, wondrous quality. It is. It's incredible. In some way, our whole separate universe is constructed of just one thing, forgetting. That's what our reality is constructed of. Forgetting the pain of childhood, our family sorrows, our grief, our loss. Forgetting Cambodia because Ethiopia takes its place, or Somalia takes the place of that, or Namibia takes the place of that, or the 200,000 innocent Iranian boys who were killed, and the 250,000 innocent Iraqi boys who were killed opposite them just a little while ago. Forgetting the uselessness of war. Let's try it again, see if we can do better this time. And we're taught to forget. It's amazing. I mean, it comes so natural to us. Why do they have to reinforce it? It's easy enough to forget who we are. But then our society teaches us to go to sleep, to become addicted, to keep ourselves busy, to drowse, to fear, to resist. Forgetting is an amazing thing. Yes. Think of all that you've forgotten. Oh, no thank you, please. I can spell it. Look at it some. It's, if, you're, if you're interested in a spiritual life and you want to study something or practice something, look at forgetting. You know, often in spiritual teachings they say, pay attention, be awake, be aware. Forget that. Okay? Uh, instead, if you want to study something, notice what puts you to sleep. If you want to study something interesting, notice in your life what it is that puts you to sleep. You learn a lot. Walking beside me who I do not see, whom at times I manage to visit, and at other times I forget. We've forgotten our sorrows. We want to. Our fears, our insecurity, our grief. And because we have, we've also forgotten our true capacity for intimacy, for love, for connectedness. We've forgotten our purity because we've tried to forget those other things as well. When you forget, you forget it all. So one reason we sit is to remember, is to wake up. Not to do something or fix something or make something, but simply to remember. Is there anything I can do to make myself enlightened? The student asked. As little as you can do to make the sun rise in the morning. <laughs> Not much. Then of what use are the spiritual exercises we do? To make sure you're not asleep when the sun begins to rise. <laughs> that simple. It's not to change it or fix it. Well, there are places for that. But really to wake up and see, to not forget. 
Remember the story I told you about Zen master Sansanim, Korean Zen master and a friend? We were at a Buddhist kind of convention and conference teaching, and there was a woman who helped to coordinate it, who was sort of a student of his. And uh, he'd seen her six or eight months before her boyfriend had left her. And she was really sad and grieving and feeling bad for herself, and more than that, feeling really bad about herself for a long time. And she told him about it initially, and he said, you know, just sit and go through that. And she told him again some months later, and he said, well, just work with that, go through it. Well, he again saw her, now it was six or eight months after that. And she was still moping around, and none of us have ever done that, of course, but she was. <laughs> and he said, I have a present for you. And he reached in his bag there, and he pulled out this beautiful set of mala beads that were carved with this image of the Bodhisattva Kuan Yin in them. And he put it in her hands, and she took her both of her hands uh, to receive it. And then he put her hands together around it like he was going to bless it. And he held her hands in one hand, and he reached back, and he smacked her across the face, and he yelled at her, Let go! And she looked, I was terrified myself. <laughs> she was totally shocked. I'm not recommending this as a practice at home, by the way. But it, it changed for her. After that moment, it, something just kind of cracked and stopped. So we sit, not so much to do, but to remember, to wake up. Maybe he said, wake up. <laughs> wake up. Remember what? In this ever-changing sea of seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting and touching and going through experience after experience. To remember who we are. Who we are is the Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree. In us is a great spirit of a king or a queen. The Buddha was like a king, a spiritual king or queen. What is here now in this moment today, Monday, June 5th, <laughs> thank you. It's all the same, they're all the same, two, three, four, five, they're the same. What is here now was there then when the Buddha was enlightened. It's not any different. You think it was different that day? Maybe it was a Monday. Nobody ever talked about whether it was Sunday or Monday that it happened. But it was a day. What is here now was there then. It's always here. It's timeless. That is the other reality. I am the one who will remain standing when I die. That's an amazing line. How do we come to this, to that which is timeless, which is universal, which is unmoving? Well, our practice is very simple. 
The first part of it is just steadying ourselves, steadying ourselves by finding some posture or way to sit that is present and whole. Steadying ourselves by using the breath, the movement of this life breath, and feeling its rhythms and its changes, entering into the breath until the body and the mind and the breath come together, become collected, become steady or unified. Using the breath and the body and the mind to come to some stillness, to quiet ourselves. And then observing, feeling, listening to all the waves, the waves of sounds, the waves of thoughts, the waves of desires, the waves of fear, the waves of joy, those which create, those which destroy. And seeing from that place that we possess none of it, that none of it do we own, because it doesn't last very long. You can, how can you possess a thought? We try, I know, it's called an opinion. <laughs> and we hold on, and the only thing is that they change, you know. That's really embarrassing. <laughs> I was really right last year, but now it's changed. And I'm right this time now, for sure. We feel, we listen to the waves of our views and opinions, our feelings, our joys, our sorrows, the way we think it is or isn't. And see that we own none of that, that none of that can be possessed or grasped, that it is not I or mine or self. I am not I. Yo no so yo, is that right? I am not I. It's what the Buddha said when he got enlightened not mine. Thank you. And to see that is to see I am not I and therefore what I am is something else than this small sense of something greater. Maybe something that includes everything. So we sit to become steady or still we sit to listen to the waves and discover a center in the midst of all of those colors and forms and dramas. We sit for forgiveness for all the things that we said and all the things that we didn't say, for all the things that we did and all the things that we didn't do, and all the things that we thought and felt and all the things that we didn't take and didn't feel. I am the one who forgives sweet when I hate. I am not I, I am this one. Forgiveness is a letting go of how it should have been, and how we should have been, and how someone else should have been. And instead, as the Buddha said, taking the one seat in the center of the room, in the center of the world, and seeing light and dark and praise and blame. Anybody not have blame? All praise? Joy and sorrow. Resuming our Buddha nature, 
seeing this tremendous capacity of the heart to forgive or touch with compassion every single thing in the world. To discover that, to reconnect with that greatness of our heart. The teaching is called turning bad circumstances into the path. Any of you have any bad circumstances? Grief, loss, somebody left you, somebody didn't leave you, <laughs> divorce, work, accidents, cancer, AIDS. If you don't, just wait. They will come. Turning bad circumstances into the path to heal the heart, to open our eyes, to not forget, to remember who we are. A student went to a master one time and asked him to enlighten him, to awaken him, to heal him. And he, the master said, well, are you interested in relief or a cure? And the student said, well, I don't know, what's the difference? And the master said, well, most of the people, they come for relief, which is to say, they want me to do something to fix it all. They don't want to take the medicine and be cured. He said, they're like the people who want progress without change. To turn bad circumstances into the path, which is to sit and to bring our heart to that, to open ourselves to what that is, and ask, what does this have to teach me? What is the truth? What would the Buddha see in this? What would the Buddha within us see? How do we do this? Well, one great way to support this work, this inner work, is through silence. I am the one who takes a walk when I am indoors. You know that part of yourself? You're at the office, and there's some other place in you that knows it needs to go for a walk by the ocean or go to Point Reyes, or spend some time in the mountains. Or sit on your zafu for a while, or work in your garden. We need periods of silence, of stopping the madness, the busyness, the complexity, to heal ourselves to awaken the queen, the king, that the Buddha within us. In traveling in Asia, especially when I was way out in the countryside, away from the cities and too much television and urbanization, the rice farmers in the parts of Laos and Thailand where I spent many years, they lived very simply. They were poor farmers in these villages, many. But there was a wonderful sense of dignity about many of them. It wasn't what they had or what they could do, but it was a, a sense of well-being and dignity just that they could walk on the earth or plow their fields or be who they were. And that dignity came in part because they lived a measured life. They weren't always trying to get more and be someplace else. So this is something for you, for me, for all of us to look at, to listen. 
in our time. We need that to heal ourselves. And in that stillness, in taking time, in slowing down and being simple, we can remember to honor this life instead of being asleep. It's a wonderful thing to remember, to honor this life instead of being asleep. I heard a story of an old Czechoslovakian grandfather. And he was very well-to-do, and in his house lived his son and daughter and his first grandson. And they lived really prosperously. Every night they would have the big table set with a linen tablecloth, and they'd have beautiful plates and crystal goblets put out, and the servant or the maid or whoever it was would come and serve beautiful food for them. This was right before the Second World War. One day this grandfather was walking in town as the events of the war started to heat up. And he saw them gathering Jews. But it's not just Jews, of course. It's people all over many countries, many times. But here it was gathering Jews with all their belongings and all their things and pushing them into trains. And he saw some people he knew and he got them to come over and work them around behind the building and some others and got a whole clan of people, 15 people, to come into his house. And they were there all afternoon. He was going to keep them with him and protect them. And then evening came and it was time for dinner and it wasn't very good times to go out in the streets that day and there wasn't much food. They hadn't been able to go out and get much food at that time might have been food for four or five people in the family, but not for an extra 15 or 20. And so the table wasn't set with a linen tablecloth, and the beautiful plates weren't put out, and it wasn't served by a maid or a waiter. And the boy, the grandson, who'd been used to that, who was spoiled, if you want to use the word, he came into dinner and first he saw, who are all these dirty people in the house? He didn't like that. And then it was time for dinner, and he sat down, and instead of the tablecloth, they put just a plate in front of him and put some bread with some spread on it. Where was his beautiful tablecloth? Where were the beautiful foods he was used to? And he picked up the bread, and he threw it on the floor. Wanted something better, expected something. And his grandfather was standing there and saw it. His grandfather was a very wise man. He knew how to teach children. He knew how to teach people. What he did was he reached down to the ground and picked up the piece of bread and kissed it and handed it back to the boy. And the boy ate it. He didn't say shame on you or grow up. He taught him from a place of integrity, from a place of dignity, from a place that really honors what is in our life. Whether it's something great that we are given for a while, only for a while, remember, or whether it's something very, very small, it doesn't matter. 
What matters is the spirit that we bring to it, how we honor it. There's no need often to point to what's wrong. That's easy to do and often doesn't solve very much. But rather to express your joy, to find the treasure in what's present for yourself, for the community around you, the people that you live with. Now this process, this spiritual process of awakening or discovering that is not an easy process. It's not superficial. It's not, well, I feel pretty good today. I guess, you know, it's a good spiritual day. Some of the days when you feel the worst may be the best for you or for me. It's deep. It's touching some depth of soul or spirit or whatever word you want to use for it. And to sit is to create a kind of a crucible. To sit and let all of the things within us be felt and show themselves. And let our busyness and our pettiness and all of those things, in a way, let them die. Not because we condemn them or shame them. They're just part of forgetting. But by sitting and kissing that piece of bread, by sitting and finding something that we so value in our life and in this earth. To sit is to face expectation and thought and desire and plans to grieve it's also to enjoy to feel the creativity the abundance to touch the fire and the ashes the beginning and ending of things to sit is to allow everything to be blessed There's a wonderful poem from Rumi that I just remember some part of. He said, you have touched sorrow. Now is not the time to go into the study and read more books. Take down the dulcimer. There are a hundred ways to kneel and kiss the earth. To sit is to find a place in ourselves where everything is blessed. Now some nights in this class, we talk about the technique of meditation, space of what makes such a simple, I am not I. I am this one walking beside me whom I do not see. But times I manage to visit, and at other times I forget. The one who forgives sleep when I hate. The one who remains silent when I talk. The one who takes a walk when I am indoors. The one who will remain standing when I die. So listen. We live our life connected with that one. So that's all I have to say this evening. We have a bit of time if we'd like for other people's 
prestum um, Yes, your question. It's just a remedy. Periodically, we've had a lot of small groups in here, and we haven't done that for a while. I mean, well, not everyone likes it, but for some people, it's very helpful because it allows those who are not connected in this community or those who are isolated in other ways, which is many of us, to speak from a, a place in their hearts to others. Maybe tonight we should do that. Let me tell you what I would like if you do so. What I would like to do is with you a, 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 a short meditation that I want to share with you. Then we'll have small groups. What I would like is for you to find four or five other people that you never near you to talk with. And to speak, if you will, tell you the name, perhaps, where you live. To speak about what that voice and what that place is that you have forgotten, as much as you feel comfortable to say. If you tell somebody else in this room what that voice is, or that truth is, that you have forgotten or that you don't use it often enough. Is that clear? We've done this about once every month or every six weeks. And usually about a few million people read, which is okay, many of you run around in therapy groups all day and to be in a beloved group with they can vomit. What can I say? Maybe you need to go work in the garden. But for many people, it's also important to think the community, and I don't want to allow that. I'd like to do a little meditation, and we'll do a lot of questions next week or a little bit after they come to the lecture. So sit comfortably, and let me start with that. I'd like us all simply to make a sound. The sound is part of the great traditional group mantra. You all used to do what you do the very beginning of all of which is really the sound of awakening, the energy of awakening. But the sound is you make it be your meditation, you must resonate in your body with the way to listen to your body. The sound is ah. And we'll do it for a few minutes, and then when I ring the bell, we'll just sit silently for a few minutes. And I'll make a few announcements, and then those who make it will have the gifts. Try yourself to make it as well, as long as you like. Take some of the notes and Thank <laughs> you. 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.